Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, joined as usual by my co-host, Eddie Webb. Hello. And Matthew Dawkins. Can I blink yet? No. You have to stare unblinkingly at your microphone the entire recording. Okay. <laughs> You're going to have desiccated eyeballs at the end of this. Mmm, <laughs> crunchy. Ooh. <laughs> Delicious and nutritious snack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sun little... dried. Well, I'm not actually outside staring at the sun. That would be silly. <laughs> we all know that you shouldn't do that. One of the reasons that I like talking about um, like consent forms and things and RPGs and trigger warnings is because one time I was playing Ella Sombra and I shriveled somebody's eyeballs mm. because I had the power to do that. Right. Um, because he was using dominate on people, I didn't like it. It was it was Sun, so you know I think he deserved it. Yeah. Sure, sure. yeah. Um, but then I found out afterwards that one of the players in the game had a very strong aversion to eyeball related horror. Mm-hmm. So we we really started this podcast off in the wrong way, didn't we? <laughs> well, I don't I, I don't think he listens to this podcast, but um, but yeah, I I did not know, and I felt really bad. So I you know just kind of sprung that on him, uh, and so it was, it's 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 nice to know where your players' limits are, you know? Yeah, but Dixie, I applaud you for using Oblivion in an interesting way. You know, I've been I've been Thank reading you. I've been reading people saying. That a sombra and the Hecata shouldn't be sharing a discipline, and I don't, I don't actually care. Yeah, but, I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> but uh, it does still warm my heart when I hear of uh, Hecata using shadow play and La Sombra using necromantic uh, oblivion. It, yeah, it makes for more interesting characters, in my view. It really does. Like, I, I, as, as everyone who listens to this knows, Lysambra are my, my favorite clan and have been for a long time. Um, but, like, I like that I have more options now. And I like that I can make a more interesting character than ones that I've played in the past because you can really, like, mix it up. So you can have two Lysambra in a group, one who is very necromantic and one who is very more shadow magic focused. And you can have, like, the exact same disciplines but use them differently, mm-hmm. which I think is very cool. Also, I ended up being, like, I joined a group with a bunch of other players who I thought were all going to make, like, smashy type characters. And then no one did. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll take potence. Like, a lot of it. Because <laughs> right. we needed somebody who, who could hit people really hard. Um, and that that became really fun, too, because I don't usually play high potence characters. But she was great. Well, well I have enjoyed regarding the discourse of, of some of these vampire design decisions that were in part mine right is when people are critical of things like oblivion for instance and they'll say clearly the author just didn't care <laughs> or clearly the author just doesn't understand what makes vampires appealing or what makes La Sombra appealing, or makes Giovanni appealing, or whatever. Wow. And I think that that truly sums me and my, what, 10 years now of World of Darkness work up of... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wrote that because I just don't care, and I don't understand. No, I think... And that, uh, Matthew's rant minute now. No, the reason <laughs> that I wrote it like that is because I think it's fun. And if yeah. you disagree, then that's because it's subjective and your tastes don't match mine. But that's fine, because yeah. there's lots of games. You can play this one, you can play other ones. You don't have to appreciate my work. I really don't mind. But if you do, 
leave a good review of it on Drive Through RPG, uh, or send me a few uh, dollary dues via uh, <laughs> PayPal or on Are you Patreon. just soliciting dollary dues on our podcast? Dollary dues. Well, you know, our, got, our, our non monetized company sponsored uh, podcast. I, I've got to take with one hand and give with the other, or vice versa. <laughs> if if I'm if I'm calling out the, the the haters, I think that's what they're called, the grognards, the um, the the heaving masses. <laughs> does, does vampire have grognards? I, I think it do. does. I think vampire definitely has. Probably. I think almost every game that has been around uh, past one edition has got a grognard. Uh, whether there's a community <laughs> of grognards or not depends on the size of the game, and I think definitely. There is a World of Darkness grognard community. I, I would pay real money to meet the Monster Hearts grognard. <laughs> Ooh. I, you know what? I do know someone who was really unhappy. Who hates Second Edition? Yeah, who said that I think it's the Chosen <laughs> One skin, maybe. Uh, either was changed significantly or not included in the Monster Hearts Second Edition core, despite the fact there was a huge number of them and was really affronted because that was the character they always played. Now this game isn't for me anymore. How did you not consider my feelings? Because wow. we as role players are always tremendously well adjusted and able to see the bigger picture, not just view it from our own perspective. But I mean, that, that's why I find so much fun. So funny about this criticism is like, in my experience working in the tabletop property industry, the problem is not that designers don't care. The problem is I would argue the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no 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 it's really important that we have this subsection in here because it really makes sure that this character concept is playable for the five people that care about it. and it's just like no I, I need these 500 words back it's going away <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i think that if that if i could be accused of caring about a game too much it probably would have been vampire mm-hmm. i mean i mean that's probably less so now as uh, as I grow more and more distanced from it, um, but yeah, there was definitely a time that the the continuity of everything, the importance of, and I, and I'm not saying this as a current writer of vampire. I wouldn't be saying this if I was uh, currently on a big vampire assignment. I think yeah, I just don't give a shit. I'm I'm writing it. <laughs> I don't give a shit. If I w- ever went back to writing vampire, I'm sure the old cylinders would fire up again. But you know. Distance from something either makes the heart grow fonder or makes it colden. I think also just as you mature in your career and as you get used to working on a property, you look at it more as a you know task that you are trying to make the best you can, rather yeah. than something that you are passionately in love with. You know, yeah, it's kind yeah. of like a really good relationship. Like you have the honeymoon period, mm-hmm. and then eventually you settle into just making it work. You know, yeah. I remember speaking to Eddie. Hello. Oh, uh, about I've never spoken to Eddie. Uh, Try not to. Our it's special really guest, plan. Eddie Webb. <laughs> uh, regarding burnout and uh, and games we'd worked on, and especially mm. Vampire, yeah. and yeah. how both of us have at some point or other reached a state where we thought, okay, we need to spend time working on different games. Mm-hmm. And I know we've both had that with, um, so that you've wanted to focus on Pugmire, I've wanted to focus on They Came From, Right, because creatively, it's incredibly beneficial to to veer around, take in different genres. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that necessarily. It, it doesn't mean that we don't care about the work that we did do or that we might do in the future, and it doesn't mean we don't like the games that we worked on. 
Um, but at the same time, there are always going to be some projects we're more passionate about than others, because as writers uh, and editors and developers, we often do jobs to earn a living. And not every single job is going to be a dream. We will work for multiple companies or work on multiple projects for the same company because, yes, we may be creatively inspired, but also because we just want to make a good game and earn a bit of money. Right, but that that's what always baffles me is because, like, we do care. We yeah. may not care about the same things, and that's usually what's actually being kind of implicitly said. Mm. I care about doing a good job because if I do a good job and if I produce good material, I'm more likely to get hired again to produce even more material and make even more money. Yep. So obviously I care about doing a good job, and the best way to do a good job is to make material that seems like it resonates well with the game that I'm writing for. Mm -hmm. So it is in my best interest to care about the material enough to do a good enough job to get more work. So a writer who doesn't right? care doesn't get work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I've, 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 I've seen that kind of thing happen. I'm not going to call anybody out. But like sure. there are certain books where you get a first draft in or even a second draft sometimes. And you're like, oh, this might not be the line for this person. Because mm -hmm. it, it, it's not because they're bad at it. They just are missing something. Like there's like right. some part of it that they, they, they don't quite grasp or understand. And there are certain games that's more important for than others. Um, but, but, but yeah, like that's just a, a, a thing that can happen is someone just doesn't quite click with a game. And then sometimes you find people that super click with one game. Like I, I love working on Pugmire because right. I feel like I really get the setting mm -hmm. and I felt that way about Anima as well. Um, mm -hmm. cause it was right in my wheelhouse. There are other games that we make that I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to work on that because it, it's not my setting. And it's going to take a lot more work for me. Not, not, not that I'll never work on it. I'll probably edit them. But as far as like writing, right. like it's not that I dislike it. It's just maybe not something that I have enough interest in to like really get my head into it, you know? Yeah. yeah and, and also there's um, uh, a danger of being overly familiar. Like, uh, uh, for example, um, I was asked to write a short scenario for Vampire the Masquerade. And I was like, I don't know. Um, but I was like, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll, I was given a certain pitch and I did the pitch. I, I wrote to the best of my ability of that pitch, but I wasn't feeling it. I was like, I feel like this is kind of a generic thing. Um, I'm sure I'll get pushback. I'm looking, I was looking forward to that pushback uh, so I can make a, a, an even better product. So I was like, it right. wasn't that I, I was trying to do a bad job. It was just, I was struggling to find it. Cause like you said, sometimes you just don't connect with the game. In this case, I, I felt like I was so far from it. And then that game went on to win an award. I'm <laughs> just like, <laughs> am I so enmeshed in Vampire the Masquerade that I can't even see when something that seems to me very rote is something that to other people seems fresh and new because they aren't as entrenched in it as I am. Uh, I think that's, that's part of my thing when it comes to the broader world of darkness. Uh, I kind of see that as my almost bread and butter. If I want to write on something that's creatively challenging... Uh, then I would probably be looking for a different project than World of Darkness. If I want to write on something that I know I can do fast to good quality, to uh, you know, I'll right. hit the deadline, I'll do hit the word count, I'll hit all the tonal notes and so on, I could blast through World of Darkness work because it's the work I know. But like you say, it means that there's the possibility... I won't be able to appraise it fairly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't be able to, I guess, 
I, I guess the one thing I could feel working on World of Darkness now is, okay, well, this hasn't been done before. That doesn't right. mean that's good. It's just I can, because I'm so familiar with the line, I can generally not repeat myself and something other people have written. Um, but that means I sometimes come up with far out of left field ideas mm-hmm. that may not necessarily land with all audiences to take us back to my original oblivion centered rant yeah i mean i i i am not nearly as entrenched in vampire like meta plot and lore as some of y'all are like i have not studied all that stuff it wasn't my thing i read a couple of, of the clan novels and things but that was about it for me when i was younger and so i just don't have that knowledge which means that when i wrote uh <laughs> i wrote five characters for children of the blood and there was, there, there's a comment on uh, Drive Through RPG that I, I still think is great, which says, like, first they're praising one of my characters for being really inventive and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then one of the other ones that I also thought was inventive and interesting, they said, eh, they're a really typical version of this clan. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oops. Um, so I, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, no, that's a really good thing. Because some people are going to be typical versions of that clan, right? But it, but but it was funny that I thought I had written a really unique character, right? Mm. And then I guess just with the character traits I gave them, they ended up being like a pretty per- like stereotypical version of whatever clan it was. And I was like, yeah. oh, all right, whatever. But, but, yeah, but I mean, like, I, I think it goes to sometimes you could be so inspired to to move to anima and to try to slightly nudge the podcast in the right direction. Um, I actually have a really good segue with, as, as as soon as we're done. Oh, good. Um, uh, was <laughs> that one of the reasons why I was really excited about Anima is because obviously I've worked on MMOs for several years, and uh, I I played them a bit, but it was almost always in the vein of doing research for my job, right? So right. I was like, I, I know a lot about MMOs, but I don't know about the appeal of them necessarily. Uh-huh. Um, and when you came on board, you and Daniel both were very much like, no, this is, we, we love this stuff. We, we, we're excited about it. And, and let's talk a lot about what makes MMOs compelling to us as people. Yeah. And also what we would want from like a dream MMO where we have virtual reality. Right, exactly. And so it was a nice creative balance because I was able to say, okay, I, I can think from a production standpoint why that would be cool or interesting or why that would be a problem. And then how much of this can be turned to interesting plot points from a design perspective. And so giving that right balance of, being having the readers be able to see the cracks of this fictional game and and like okay well designers ran this wall here or this thing didn't quite work out right or this launched badly and that meta text of video game design built into a really compelling fictional game experience i think really is what makes anima strong but i don't think either part of us could have done that Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i mean obviously too i had dominic's amazing like our original work, work off of absolutely dominic had a, had a great starting point but even then, you know um it was the, we both we all kind of came to it, okay cool you came and you and daniel came from well you came from the pure enthusiasm standpoint in terms of yeah. setting daniel <laughs> came from pure enthusiasm standpoint of like i can make a tabletop role-playing game that emulates the stuff and i came from it from the bitter of the okay i know the realities of the video game industry and so i want to work right. some of that on we into this so yeah no we had a great foundation but all three of us came with very different ideas but we also listened to each other and again it was none of that was because we were lazy or uninterested it was because we just had certain limits to our experience right yeah which i think is cool so speaking of being too familiar with some things and needing a change 
Mm. Uh, uh, to inspire creativity. Uh, 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 uh. Oh God, I'm being sucked into the Chronicles of Darkness. <laughs> uh, so to to wrap up uh, Legend Lore Month, which we are wrapping up right now, because um, it's the day after Thanksgiving that you're hearing this. Hello. Mm-hmm. Well, for Americans, at least. You know, yes. If you're not American, it's Friday. Yeehaw, pew, pew, pew. I think that's Thanksgiving, isn't it? I think it's 4th of July, but yeah. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we are going to have a little conversation about isekai, which is the genre that um, legend lore really belongs to. Uh, it is a Japanese word, just means other world or different world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, we don't have to keep saying isekai this whole time if we don't want to. Uh, yeah. But we can. That's fine. Um, and it's, it's, it's been around for a while, um, but not super long. It mostly started in like the, I think 17, 1800s, uh, because some of, some of the early examples of isekai would be things like, um, Alice in Wonderland, right? right that one. Mm-hmm. That's like a really, everyone's familiar with it. A lot of people wouldn't think of to put it in the genre right away, but actually everybody is probably familiar with some aspect of the genre because of things like Chronicles of Narnia and yeah. Peter Pan, um, like I said, Oz Wonderland, the, the, the Wizard of Oz. These are all isekai stories where somebody from one world is transported to a different, usually magical world and has mm. adventures, right? Mm. Um, often it's somebody from the mundane world, as in, I think, all those, all those examples that I just cited, but also Peter Pan coming to our reality is like the the opposite kind of isekai. Yeah. It's a fantasy mm. character coming to our world. Um and it's just quick, quick digression, but yeah. by that reverse I've never heard the reverse argument before. By that argument then is Shadowrun isekai. Ooh. Are well, they... no because people turn into yeah, trolls and so That's just uh, their world, I think. Well, no, no, no because there's a I I've got yeah. to really rack my Shadowrun brain now because some some people start turning into trolls and orcs and elves and whatnot, but yeah. did the dragons actually pass through into our world? Because I'm thinking of you know good old Dunkel's arm. So as I remember, and again I'm I'm with you. It's been years since I've read the deep lore of Shadowrun. Is that uh, the ghost dance happens and then magic flooded back into our world and brought some creatures with it, mm-hmm. and then and, yeah. As a result of that magic, then people started changing into things. Basically, magic kind of reset the template of the world, and people started to change into that template that this magic reset. But yeah. I would say that it has isekai elements. It is that's still a, at its heart a cyberpunk game. That's that's probably fair. I think. Unlike the Masters of the Universe movie, which is that's, isekai. It is. It is very oh much god. isekai. Oh my god. There's a lot of things that You're people wouldn't wrong. think of as this, and then they start actually looking at it. Like Jumanji is isekai. Um, Flash Gordon. Buck Rogers, uh, oh, the, the Barsoom series, the Matrix. Like, yeah, the, the Matrix. Well, is kind, it's kind of isekai. It's it's more just him seeing the world for what it really is, but it 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 feels isekai. Although usually the term is used for somebody who goes into, like I said, a a a fantasy world. Yeah, and somebody from our world. So sure, let's stick no. with that definition for now. <laughs> Legend lore is probably the the best example of, of what it's generally used for. I think that's great. But but this brings up some interesting edge cases. Like, I mean, you mentioned Alice in Wonderland, and so uh-huh. there's a lot of these settings that are like kind of through the looking glass using Alice as a metaphor for that, but they're not always... Like, you can make a bad argument that Westworld is the same thing. It's not. Uh-huh. It's not, but it's interesting how far the edges go when you start really thinking it through. 
Yeah, I mean, like there there are elements of the other world narrative in a lot of narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any you could make the argument that any fish out of water story is kind of an isekai story. You know, like right. even going from the small town to the big city, but it's not with the actual definition because it, ha- it it does seem to be like a different world, not just a different place. Um, and usually it's it's considered like a a portal fantasy more than anything else. So. Tron is Isekai, for instance. Okay. Because you go through but, a portal. But Doctor Who is not. But Doctor Who is not. Okay. Super exactly. Mario Brothers is, if you assume that Mario is a plumber oh, from New York or New Jersey. <laughs> and It's uh, also arguably Cyberpunk Isekai, but that's a whole separate... <laughs> well, if we go for the Super Mario Brothers movie, yes. which, as Dixie has told us on many occasions, introduces Mario, Mario, and Luigi Mario. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, That's their names They're being sucked through To the Mushroom Kingdom or whatever it was called The Cooperland in the the movie Right Anyway yes we could keep coming up with examples I mean yeah Because this is a very like I I do love thinking of the more modern Examples just because they're fun Sure. Like I said Tron uh, Never ending story labyrinth Uh, So it was a big genre in the 80s apparently I think my other favorite example is Space Jam (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> Which has Michael Jordan getting sucked into the cartoon world. So yes, I went to see Space Jam 2 with my son in the cinema for some godforsaken reason. I, I, I heard it was terrible. Was it terrible? Yes. It was <laughs> the most... Oh, what would be the best word? Plastic movie Ugh. that I have ever, ever seen. It was a happy meal on the screen. Wow. It had all of the nutritional and entertainment value of a Happy Meal, which isn't to say that there aren't some people who that, that like Happy Meals who appreciate them, but at the same time, I'm not going to come out in defense of them, especially when uh, Bugs Bunny falls from the sky and when hit when he hits the ground in the traditional style, you know, the silhouette in the ground that he's made, you know, typically it's going to be Bugs, Bunny, or Wiley Coyote shape. Right. It's a Nike tick. Oh, oh my god. Wow. Uh, obviously, it's also the movie that went so far as introduce uh, the Clockwork Orange Droogs. Yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> what? I saw, I saw a still of that with, like, all the characters that are on screen at that moment, it's... and it was wild. Uh, the thing is, I just don't know why. I don't understand. Uh, I I guess there's the idea that parents might appreciate this reference. But at the same time, while I was watching that, and I could see Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin, and I could see, uh, oh, God, who else was there? Edward Scissorhands. There, there was a lot of weird and wonderful properties that were present. I was thinking... I don't appreciate this. I'm just confused by this. Why is this basketball match being watched by Alex and his Drew? Especially because they reportedly cut Pepe Le Pew from the movie because of his, you know, long history of sexual harassment. Yeah, right. well, uh, the Droogs never got up to anything on camera, but uh, and I certainly <laughs> hope that nothing went on right. off, off camera. But the most iconic scene of the Droogs involves sexual assault. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, the Iron Giant was there as well, I think, so he could have um, put pay to that. <laughs> yeah, also, the, like, Scooby Gang was there, yeah. and I think, like, Chitara was there from, like, Thundercats? Yeah, the, it, it was, was a weird scene. It was a panoply 
of random characters, and there, I'm sure there was someone in the world that appreciated it. Probably the sort of person that, like me, who takes screenshots and then tries to pick out every single movie they can see. But when I got to the end of doing that, I thought, God, I've just wasted 12 minutes of my life. Right. There, there is a current trend in movies of jamming as much IP into it as possible. It, it's an outgrowth of the blatant advertising in movies that's been around for since for, for decades, frankly. And, and the Marvel cinematic universe. I'm going to blame them. Sure, sure. But like, I remember on Demolition Man where like, Taco Bell was a plot point, you know? Yes. <laughs> I mean, so we've been on this train for a bit of a time, but like, um, that's one of the reasons why I've never seen Ready Player One, but like, as soon as I heard it was a movie, I'm like, I know exactly what the movie's going to be. It's going to be, it's cram as many 80s references into this thing as we possibly can. And sure enough, everything I see from trailers, is it's exactly that. Um, yeah. The, yeah. the Lego movie has a lot of that too. Although I would argue the Lego movie did it with a little more charm, but yeah, it's, it's still, let's make, funny Batman, an actual plot point, as opposed so, to just a cameo. So yeah, I like Lego, the Lego movie. I like the Lego Batman movie. Mm-hmm. I thought Ready Player One was just constantly saying, look at this. Remember this? Remember this? Do you remember right. that? And by the end of it, I was thinking, I've I, I've learned nothing, gained nothing. <laughs> All I have been done yeah. is swatted in the face with a lot of 1980s nostalgia. I, right. I definitely read the book when it came out. It was one of those books that like, like all gamers should love this book, you know? <sighs> um, and I read the book and it wasn't, it, but first of all, I got mad at that. Just like I got mad at the Big Bang Theory at, at one point yeah. mm-hmm. because they yep. presented something that they were like, this is for you. And it's not. And then I, you know, but, but it, both of them tricked me for a period of time. Mm. Oh, okay. I like read the book and I was like, that was a fun romp. And then the more that I like, thought about it, I was like, that was stupid. I had no plot. Yeah. It just... It just made me feel smart because I understood references. And I feel the same way about Big Bang Theory. Like, at, at its heart, it's a really typical sitcom that's really punching down at nerds most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but because the characters are nerds, you get to go, oh, I get that reference. Oh, I know what his t-shirt means, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so, like, I, I don't like it when a property tricks you into thinking it's for you. And then you have to realize that it's not. Right. I feel like there are ways to do it. I won't say elegantly, but but... That makes sense. Uh, new guy, for example. Actually, speaking of reverse isekai, it's about a video game character who comes into the real world. Yeah. Is that new guy or is that free guy? Free guy. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. There are a lot of pop culture references in that, but given his conceit as an MMO NPC, that's gamer culture, right? So it's not so much that these things are gratuitously shoved in, but also they're leavened with the fact that gamer culture also gratuitously shoves in pop culture references. So I felt like it was talking more to me than some of these other things because it's like, okay, yes, I would make a Star Wars joke in this reference. Yes, I would. If I could throw Captain America's shield, I absolutely would. So I felt like that was a better representation of, of me in that moment than you're mm-hmm. right. Like than, than something like Ready Player One, which when I read the book, I was like, it's the same as you. The like, first 50 pages, I'm like, oh, I get the references. And after a while, I was like, yes, I also have played D&D in the 80s. I get it. This module is hard. Thank you. Right. Can we move on? From- yes, I've also read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Please stop using the number 42. Which happens to see my birthday. So it always kind of both delights and, and annoys me because my birthday is 42. <laughs> uh, I've got a question for you, Eddie. Uh, well, speaking of isekai, so it is on topic. Uh, but and also, you know, gaming. Um, we were speaking uh, a little while ago about how if you were to set Pugmire in a, I guess, far future Earth and start finding human relics, 
mm-hmm. that you were going to that you were thinking of a certain video game that could be found. Right. Now I think this is a very I think this is a very elegant and intelligent suggestion, but I'll let you explain it. Right. So, um, uh, one of the things talking about off mic is that uh, one of the things I like to do with Pugmire is to nod towards pop culture things, but not make it clear what they are. But the, I think like you have to play it fair. I feel like the reader has to at least make an attempt to get to it. Um, uh, so the example I always give uh, is um, in one adventure, someone had a sparrow named Captain Jack and the stat blocks of Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, you know, it's too obvious. We need to yeah. say he's a sparrow at one point in time, then say his name's Captain Jack at another point and let players put those pieces together. But then that's yeah. funny. Um, the one that I've always struggled with, although in our conversation, I have a better idea how I can do it, is when you have a culture like Pug Barron's obsessed with plastic and finding a lot of plastic is valuable, having Pugmire dogs run across the New Mexico landfill of ET cartridges right. seems like a really cool thing to work in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've never figured a way that's either too vague, like here's a bunch of square pieces of gray plastic, or too obvious, like... Um, thousands of pictures of a, of a brown alien with a flat head with a glowing fingertip. I'm right. trying to find that middle ground of here's a cool thing that players can spin off if they don't catch the reference. Um, but if they do, that's an extra layer. Uh, on top of the fact that it's ultimately just here's a bunch of free money. But I think it's it's the example I gave when we were talking about it was I think there's a, a, a cultural resonance to where we find lots of treasure in bogs. Um, yeah. And it's like, wow, this is weirdly perfectly preserved treasure. But also, here's the the skull of the of, of a person who found the same bog who had a huge hole in the side. So it's like, there's a story here. What happens? Right. Why is there a whole bunch of treasure and a dead guy who clearly got his head caved in? And I feel like there's a, there's a similar of like, why would man just throw away all of this plastic? It makes no sense. It must be cursed. Right. It's like, like buried because it must be you know, obviously you know the, the, this this image must be profane because it was. Should we? And like again, there's also like things like um, how in Egypt, lots of times uh, uh, images of old pharaohs would be defaced to try to remove them from history. So I feel like there's mm-hmm. there's a resonance there, but I can't quite find it. Um, but uh, like you're saying, like there there's kind of I don't think of Pugmire's Isekai, but I think there's a similar overlap in the sense of turning the familiar into the unfamiliar. I think it's where the tension of Isekai kind of comes in to a degree. Mm-hmm. Of like, here's this thing. Let's take it out of context and try to understand it. Um, but I also, I'm digressing a bit. But I, I also noticed there's a, there's an overlap with lit RPG, which is another newer genre that we've talked about on the podcast because now that we're familiar with it. I've been reading uh, that time I was reincarnated as a slime, uh, which is uh, a yep. manga uh, anime isekai, and basically it's about a guy who gets killed, and amusingly his last words are, "Please delete my porn archive." But um, <laughs> he gets reincarnated as a slime in a video game. And because he has played a very thinly veiled version of Dragon Quest, he's able to become in charge of this world very quickly because he just applies game logic to everything and it's right. true. So I, I, so it, it's, it's straight up a guy. He's a, a, he could transport into a fantasy world, but because he has this meta knowledge, he's able to actually thrive. So mm-hmm. again, there's this layer of, the the pop culture knowledge and how it relates to the new realm and the people who are coming into it, um, Masters of the Universe, to soon go back to that, kind of has the reverse thing of like, we're seeing these characters thrust into a world and then trying to struggle with understanding modern society. So it's kind of the opposite. 
point. I think there's always something quite charming about that, though. Uh, mm-hmm. I, oh, totally. I, I don't. I I see it played more in well in in Pogmire, but legend lore as well. Uh, the idea of yes, yeah, strangers in a strange land interacting with things in an inappropriate fashion because they don't understand them. You know, it's the sort of Thor going to a diner and slamming back beers or right. coffees mm. or whatever because Thor's he does example, yeah. yeah, because he doesn't get it. He doesn't right. know, he doesn't understand the social conventions or human appetites or whatever. Uh, and that can be played and run really i think really well it's just a short scene that helps set up that you're going to need to be a bit careful feeling your way around this new world because you don't know what is appropriate what's offensive uh, what's good for you what's bad for you all of that it's it's a nice opening to a game like legend lore where yeah you end up in the realm in azoth and you do something or the players do something that seems perfectly natural because the GM tells them it's perfectly natural, but then the NPCs look at them aghast. Uh, and it's it's different from starting things in a combat or starting things in a tavern or you know the usual ways of uh, spurring the motion forward. Mm. Uh, instead, it's you've done a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> and now you need to learn what the right thing to do happens to be. Right. Um, all, uh, speaking of uh, movies you don't think it was Isekai, but as we're talking about it, I realized it's actually a good fit is Demolition Man. Um, because I'm thinking of the three she's, three seashells thing. Right. Where he wants to go to the bathroom, and it's like, I lost his three seashells. And they're laughing, like, he doesn't know how to use the three, the three seashells. And it's like, we as the audience going, you don't know what you're talking about, but we recognize that embarrassment of not understanding a cultural norm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there are a lot of like 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 I said earlier, there are a lot of things that are like Ethikai adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are if you look at it just as portal fantasy, which is a technically kind of a different genre, but Ethikai falls into it. Right. Um, time travel narratives can right. be portal fantasy. Things like uh, Kindred by Octavia Butler, which not a good fantasy, it was a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, which it's also about to be a TV series, which I'm very excited about. Or the Outlander series, for instance, right? Where it's a woman. There from... it is. What? What? <laughs> I knew eventually we get to that Outlander. I like Outlander. <laughs> I know, but it's just eventually we get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, those those are all like similar, right. but it's 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 a different kind of meta knowledge because you're using your knowledge of history to either you know help people in that time or avoid things or save people's lives, and you're also using your modern day knowledge to you know treat people for various ailments and things. Um, And that's, that's a similar, but not the same genre. So then I have a question then. Um, So is it fair to say that all isekai stories are fish out of water stories, but not all fish out of water stories are isekai stories? Yes. Okay. I think that is very fair. Um, Cause yeah, like most, most fish out of water stories are, are, you know, exactly that. Like, yeah, no, I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I, I I could probably find examples where it proves it's not true, but I'm not sure. Well, I mean, for, for purposes of our discussion, because you're right. I mean, the more we talk about this, the more I realize that that uh, the, the, it gets fuzzy. And like you said, portal fantasy is kind of, sounds like it is a subsection of isekai. Would that be a better way of defining it? Yeah, probably. I'm trying to figure out the Venn diagram here because uh, this is 
something that seems like it's very simple, but the more we talk about, the more I realize it's actually a little elusive, and so it's good to talk about. Well, um, yeah, because I mean, the, 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 whole, the whole thing about like it is it is usually called portal fantasy more in like literature, whereas it's it's okay. I, I don't know why that is. It's just what it is. Um, but there are like if you just think about trapped in another world, right? That's like yeah. the super trope to like everything else. Hmm. <laughs> like right. It can overlap with down the rabbit hole or fish out of water. It can overlap with you can't go home again. If returning home is a goal, there's there's then then you have there's there's no place like home is a trope. That's that's an overlap. Um, if you know you wish you stayed in the magic world when you return home, that's a whole different thing. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot that falls under the blanket that doesn't you know it, it isn't easily defined. <laughs> right, like it's it's a huge box. Well, then another question um, is, does Issa kind of assume that the protagonists are the ones coming from a different world? Let's, let's assume that reverse Hizukai, much like reverse racism, isn't really true. It's just a matter of you're coming from if a fantasy world and a non-fantasy world are in conjunction and characters go from one to the other. Right. Do we assume that we're primarily the protagonists who are making that crossing? I think generally. Um, although you also just have a... Like, you can have an antagonist make the crossing as well, which I think happens a lot in some movies. Well, like, the, the, the example I'm thinking of is uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Like the, the two live action movies are pretty clearly straightforward. He's a guy. Someone from a fantastical realm has come to a modern world. Sure. I haven't seen them, but yeah. Okay. Well, it has a blue hedgehog in a modern. Yeah. No, I am, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I've he had terrifying them. teeth for a while. <laughs> for a moment. Yes. Um, but in the guy, I, I don't want to use the word classic, but I'm going to have to classic. Uh, continuity for Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, basically, it's set in Mobius, which is a fantasy world. Most mm. everyone is an animal. The only human is, generally speaking, uh, Dr. Robotnik, but he is the antagonist. Right. And he has a certain amount of control over his environment, so he's not a fish out of water. He is, if anything, the environment. He's the, he's the person the first you're fighting against. But he's bringing technology into this fantasy realm. Mm, see, I, I don't know that I'd agree. I think it's a really good example of of an isekai that I I certainly hadn't considered. But I feel like Robotnik is a fish out of water. We're just so far along with his being there that he has started changing the world to fit his mm. uh, his his view of how it should be. That's why everything is becoming robotic and automated instead so, of fantastical and monstrous. You so know? he's actually a Gatimian from Exalted. Is what we're is what we're saying. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's exactly yes. what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'm I'm nodding my head and not blinking. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all contaminants are transformers. I know this from my our playtest of essence, no, so that is no, true. No, that's yes. that's all chemicals. Damn it, I was wrong. Arr. Okay. Uh, in in Exalted, the concept behind a Gatimian is that they are an exalt that essentially is from a different version of creation. Um oh, and right, so right, right. they are they, like and and they they tend to want to make the the creation they're in now similar to their version or they're trying to prevent it from being like their version right because maybe something horrible happened yeah um but it also means that they might run into somebody who in their version of creation is like their wife and she doesn't recognize them you know uh because things went differently here because you never existed here before yeah so that's that's how i was thinking about the dr robotnik thing it's okay. like you know he's be, you basically be a Gatimian. he's trying to remake the world into what his his version of creation was yes Yes, and to a lesser extent, we've got that kind of character in Aether, 
uh, as there are some individuals who want to literally unwind time to a to a state they feel was a better world, mm. uh, even if arguably it wasn't. Uh, but for them, it was. So yeah, you've got um, a sort of malicious form of unwinder, I guess, in uh, in Aether. They're not all just capitalist Edison types, <laughs> right? <laughs> just, 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 just a lot of them. Yeah. But yeah, so in in Legend Lore specifically, crossing over does change you. Right. Which which happens in some versions of Isekai, but not others, as as we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you get kind of remade to fit the world, and sometimes the world brings itself to fit you, and sometimes you're just the fish out of water the whole time. Mm. Um, a really good live action adult example of Isekai is the TV show The Magicians and the books. Okay. Um, because it starts out as a magic school book, and then it turns into a very dark version of Narnia, essentially. Right. Right. Um, and of course, the Narnia books are wonderful examples of of isekai, um, even the one that has the witch coming to our world, right? Because mm-hmm. it's because it, it, then it's reverse, and that's fun, right? And I think I think um, the the traditional view uh, of the legend lore specific style of isekai, which at least people my age it, it comes to mind, is the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. That yeah. is, um, that is. But they they change to fit their environment. They they change to become these iconic classes, right? Which is what happens in legend lore. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you want Just, your best legend lore inspiration, go watch the D and D cartoon. <laughs> see, uh, uh, while I know the D and D cartoon, I know what it is. I've never once seen it. I it feel is... like it may have been slightly before my time, uh, and and I don't think it was ever really repeated over in the UK. So yeah, it just passed me by. The D and D cartoon in my head fills the same place as Kindred the Embraced, hmm. in the sense of I kind of want to defend it, but. It's hard to because it goes against so many of the tropes of the thing it's ostensibly right. uh, adaptation of. Yeah. So I think the D&D cartoon probably, if you were to watch it now, it'd probably get a better reception because A, D&D has been through a lot of iterations since then. And B, because we have things like Isekai to, to point to, it's like, oh, okay, so it's this. It's It just happens to be called D&D. Um, and I think you would get a lot better sense of what it's trying to do uh, because it is very much like okay this is a bunch of kids who fall into the world um and want to get home so i mean like legend lore really feels like if it wasn't aware of it that's drawing from the same inspirations mm. um although it also falls into the class there's there's an era of cartoons where they have a trap of they have an end goal that's, that's part of their concept and then by the design of the cartoon they can never reach it because either they'll get canceled or they'll become so popular they can never reach it to end their friend the series Yes. So, like Pirates yes. of Dark Water. We'll find 13 treasures. And it's like, that's why would you put a number on that? What have you done? Right. I think Alf wanted to get back home, didn't he? And ended yeah. up being kidnapped by government agents after eating the cat or something. I, I don't know. I'm very confused. I mean, Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah. He's he's trying to get back home. Right. He's constantly, like, yes, he's technically in our world still, but it's a very different world but, that, that he's used to. And right. he is a different person every time. Mm-hmm. Which I think is interesting. I suppose it's... I mean, this may be a bit tenuous, I know, but when you look at Stranger Things and the way some of... I was just thinking of, of Stranger Things. <laughs> and the way some of the protagonists and that interact with the Upside Down. I'm, I'm not an avid Stranger Things watcher either, but I know it's very popular. Uh, the, the way that some of the characters can access the Upside Down, or all of them can by the end mm. of, well, you know, X series... Um, then 
it, it's like a bleak version of the D&D cartoon in the right. sense that characters are able to pass through to what is a horror fantasy world or you know, a horrific layer on top of ours. Uh, it's certainly not as sprightly or full of uh, <laughs> full of wondrous unicorns because uh, mm. I feel like if there's a unicorn in the Upside Down, I'll probably try and gut you. Yes. Uh, like a Scarred Lands unicorn. Um, uh, yeah. Another, sure. another adaptation... Um, is the die comic um, by Kieran? How Dillon. do y'all keep saying things I'm like about to bring up? <laughs> well, then you like, go ahead. Talk about I've, die. Well, no, no, it was, it was just funny because I was like, I was, I was going to say like, and if you want kind of a darker take on it, you know, <laughs> um, big Kieran Gillen fan. Obviously, he is. He's written a, a bit for Scion, which was very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love die. Um, and there actually is a role playing game version of that as well. I think that was just kickstarted. Um, uh, I, I, I looked at the beta, but I haven't looked at the full version. Yeah, but it is a similar thing where, like, a bunch of people disappear and then they come back later and what the hell happened, you know? I don't know. It's it, it, But it is it is specifically based around a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And it's like a lit RPG portal fantasy kind of situation. It's 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 a very good comic. Oh, right, and, the- oh and I've got one. Go ahead. Uh, to tie <laughs> into Alice in Wonderland, uh, and I know I mentioned this about 100 episodes ago, Alice in Borderland, which is on Netflix, a oh. Japanese oh, right, right. series where our three protagonists end up in an alternate version of Tokyo where they are effectively made to play games based on card suits and numbers, but that's that gauges the difficulty and type of game. Mm-hmm. To to eventually get back to their home, they think they don't know what the outcome will be. There, there is a manga that it, upon which it is based, uh, which yep. I have read and won't spoil. But it's a um, that is it's a good adult. Uh, I know isekai adjacent. We'll, we'll keep saying uh, story, and the second season's coming out. I think uh, by the end of this year. So hooray for that! Hmm. So. I was just looking on Wikipedia because this is what I always end up doing while we're recording about these things. And apparently in the Rhetorics of Fantasy book from 2008, uh, the author had a taxonomy of fantasy. And I I find this interesting. Okay. It's, there's portal fantasy in which you enter, a fa- it, it, in which a fantastical world is entered and the fantastical elements are contained within that world, right? Mm. It oh, is okay. usually a quest type narrative like Chronicles of Narnia, et cetera. Right. Um, there's immersive fantasy where the fictional world is complete. This fantastic elements aren't questioned. You like, you know, you you understand that this this is the way the world is. Mm-hmm. There's intrusion fantasy where the fantasy intrudes on reality, and that would be your Draculas, your Mary Poppins, a lot of what I've been calling like reverse isekai, yeah. right? Um, and then in liminal fantasy, the fantastic en- enters a world that seems to be our own. It's it's pretty rare, it says, but like it's 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 interesting and strange. Like Neverwhere, maybe? Uh, maybe. That, Neverwhere, that, Harry Potter? I would consider Neverwhere intrusion fantasy. Hmm. They, this, this, this says, like, the, the, the marvelous is, is perceived by the protagonist at the same time as it dis, disconcerts and estranges the reader. It's pretty rare. It's often ironic and blasé, it says. Uh, the example given is Joan Aiken's stories about the Armitage family, who are amazed that unicorns appear on their lawn on Tuesday instead of Monday. Oh, yeah, I think a series oh, of unfortunate okay. events would probably be like yeah, maybe. that. Um, and, and given that we've already mentioned Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, possibly that as well. Because while it is wondrous, it is portrayed as, from every perspective other than Arthur Dent's, this is completely normal. 
Right. To the point that he ends up thinking, yes, this is completely normal and I'm utterly insignificant in its shadow. <laughs> right. Right. I'm also I'm also wondering if um the Alcatraz series, um uh, Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians, uh, because that one is about um a person who recognizes that the world is fantastical, but they're and they're baffled by the mundane, but not for normal reasons, like you're saying. Um so for example, uh the argument that the sword is the superior technology to guns because you don't need ammunition for swords. Uh, swords don't jam. That's um, one of the rules of uh, zombies. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So it's, it makes logical sense to the characters, although that sense is contrary to what the reader's expectations are. So yeah. that might be another example that liminal fantasy are talking about. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also interesting to me that uh, when these genres uh, they're not new, but when we start to enough density comes around, we start to codify them. That there's sometimes competing uh, lexicographies to, to try to define them. Is that right? Lexicography, mm-hmm. lexicons. Uh, uh, there's different kind of terminology to try to define them, and sometimes they right. ends up competing until one ends up moving to the top. Uh, uh, I'm reminded of when I first started working in video games. There wasn't really a term for what I did, which is a game designer who's more focused on the world than on right. the mechanics. Uh, narrative and so, designer. Right. Narr- but, the, but narrative designer was not the codified thing. For a long time, it was right. oscillating between content designer, writer, narrative designer. And now narrative designer is kind of one out. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is the uh, VHS of the Betamax Wars, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's why the AIs in Anima are narrative AIs. Mm-hmm. It's right. because they're the, the narrator's that's that's their job their job is to do that Mm -hmm. yes i remember Um, reading at some point relatively recently that uh and whether it's true or not i don't know but it feels like it could be that immersive fantasy as described just there where you have essentially middle earth let's say Mm -hmm. is incredibly new in the ranks of fiction that it was only books like that pretty much started to to see popularity with lord of the rings that there while there may have been this and that story about completely fantastical worlds without visitors from ours the vast majority of fantasies and i guess science fiction prior to that were all based around traveler from earth or travelers to earth or as Mm -hmm. just put you know intruders and isekai uh but i'd be interested to hear if that isn't the case if in the 17th century someone had written a a story with fully fleshed out you know fantasy world peoples and so on yeah i would say that um just just to give it it, its actual roots there are um there 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 are ancient like japanese stories and Mm. myths in which uh, someone gets transported to like an, an underwater realm by, I think, saving a turtle. And I think that's one of the earliest examples of it. And that's a very, very old story. I uh, just didn't really get popular until like the 1800s as a common thing to do. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how many fully fleshed out fantasy worlds there were floating around before things like that, that, that we know of today, you know? Yeah. Only thing I can think of, and this is uh, very maybe debatable. Atlantis. Uh, I was actually thinking maybe Flatland. Um, it's eighteen eighty four, but it is a fully realized fantastical realm. But it's also mathematical satire. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a weird 
thing. I've got to say that genre doesn't grab me. If, mathematical uh, if satire. To, yes, if I were to pass it in a bookstore, uh, math, the mathematical <laughs> satire aisle would probably go unread by me. Well, you say that, but also you do realize that Alice in Wonderland is also a mathematical satire and cultural. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a there's an awful lot of satire. I'm reading it currently uh, to my son. This is bedtime story, Alice's I'm- adventures. I mean, I guess that the, the earliest examples of that would probably be short stories, and they would probably be fairy tales. Um, oh, it, would be such, yeah, yeah. it would be probably the earliest examples mm-hmm. of something like that, especially st- like cultural myths and legends about you know somebody stepping into a mushroom ring and being transported to the world of the fae, for instance. Yeah, but quite often those didn't have fully fleshed out worlds. Right. I, gu- I guess where I'm making the definition okay. is uh, you want like a Middle Earth setting. Yeah, well, uh, you know, and I, you know, I have problems with that, but well, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the the sort of Middle Earths, Forgotten Realms is uh, Westerosses. Uh, it may just have not been terribly lucrative for people to spend that much time developing a fantasy world in back in those days. Well, no, I mean, if you think about it, it um, Lord of the Rings is, is written. Um, it becomes eh, popular at the time, um, and then it becomes really popular soon after. Uh, pulp fantasy comes around the 30s, I want to say, and that's your kind of your Conan the Barbarians, mm. your uh, magazine fiction. So it's like you don't have to develop a whole world. You have to develop a world that hangs together long enough to survive, you know, 30 pages of, of content. Yeah. Um, and then those become popular. So you make more and more and more of those. So it becomes additive. And eventually you develop a world like uh, Samaria just because I like to keep getting paid and this thing's popular. So I keep adding more stories to it. So I will tell you that according to the internet, mm-hmm. the very first fully invented fantasy world, as opposed to a dream world or some other, or just like a a, a foreign land, whether fictional or not, yeah, uh, is a book called The Well at the World's End by William Morris, published in 1896. So yeah, really late. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I am I am on the history of fantasy uh, Wikipedia page. Um, and that is that, that that is what it says in the very late 19th century. And I kind of want to read this. Hmm. Um, so, and that's, that's, that's why it's, it's interesting to me when sometimes people are like going, oh, well, you can't just make new genres. It's like, we, we do it all the time. I mean, as, as fiction evolves, we're going to find new ways to categorize it. And granted, sometimes it gets a bit like, uh, I, yeah, we'll use examples, but uh, punk subcultures is eventually, it's like, there are four books that do this thing, so now it's a genre. It's like, okay, maybe it's a bit much. Right. Um, but it is interesting to me that this concept, uh, 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 the, you know, call it what you will, portal fantasy, uh, intrusion fantasy, whatever, has been around for a long time, but it really took the Japanese putting their own spin on it before that word could have been. like someone like dressing up as your favorite characters have been around for a long time until but cosplay is the word we've settled on yeah yeah i i was i was one of those people who was really resistant to cosplay for a while oh really um yeah because i for for a while in the the, the costuming fandom world um cosplay um had to include a like role play element was how right. a lot of us saw it Right. Um, and so I consider myself a costumer, not a cosplayer, because I wasn't playing anything. I wasn't not playing the character. character. Yeah. I was just dressing up as them and making costumes. Um, now I just say cosplay because everyone says it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like, you know, 10 plus years ago, I was like, I was like, no, I'm really more like I'm, I'm a costumer. I, I don't do cosplay. 
uh, because it did have like for a while it had that kind of like connotation to it. Right. So yeah, no, that is I I find it very interesting when we all decide to settle on on one phrase for something, even something that has multiple like sub subgenres, like you were just saying about like punk, right? Mm -hmm. Like I feel like every like as a as a goth music fan. Every time, like more than three bands sounded moderately alike, they were like, "It's a new subgenre of goth music," and I was like, "Fine." Yeah, there's lots of different Fine. types of metal. Oh God, so many. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, uh, uh, and I've there have been times where I'm like, "I like this band," and people are like, "Oh, so you like crust oi punk?" And I'm like, I'm like <laughs> "Sure." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, it's just like, I, I, I just like like I like what I like. It's fine. I'm allowed to like what I like. Yep. Uh, yeah. But I think I think for from a, from a professional standpoint, um, it is useful to kind of have these conversations and find these terms because it helps set expectations for mid games. Like I remember we had a similar conversation about the RPG for Anima because there are a lot of people coming in like I don't yep. know what this is, um, and so like I say, so I ended up having a right sidebar saying this is what we mean by it when we talk about it, and I did the same thing for Cyberpunk, which. I have a slightly different perspective of cyberpunk than people because how we've landed culturally on cyberpunk is, is not where I believe cyberpunk came from. Mm -hmm. And Easter guys kind of in the same boat. I'm glad we had this conversation because I feel like I have a better, under, even though we've been using legend lore saying, Oh, Easter guy. And I got that. And I don't think that understanding has changed, but now I get a sense of what does and doesn't fall into it. And so therefore when I use the term, I can use it more intentionally, use it more deliberately and have a better chance of, person I'm talking to understanding and bringing the same set of tropes to the conversation no totally and yeah lit lit rpg and and game lit are both super interesting too for that exact reason right um because yeah it's 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 a much newer genre it's not like new new uh a, a lot there, there are things that came out in like the 70s and 80s that kind of were in that you know oh yeah um, dream park is is very much yes lit RPG. yeah i was thinking of dream park and also uh quag keep by andre norton Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, apparently Andre Norton played D and D with Gary Gygax and wrote a Greyhawk novel. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 from, from the seventies. Um, and then of course the other land books that I talked about are right. my favorite example of them. Um, and Sword Art Online is probably the most famous one now. Yeah, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have Gamelit, which is where you, which is where um, those are stories that are set in a game universe, but don't necessarily involve like leveling or skill raising. Mm -hmm. So that would be like Jumanji, or actually Re Ready Player One. Right. Um, so yeah, like you can roleplay, you can use all the stuff, but like that's not part of the thing really of of the the story itself. But yeah, there's, right, there's right, lots the of. The delineation, it goes back to the earlier point, but the delineation yeah. is whether the the characters engage with game mechanics or not. Exactly. And in Legend Lore, like, it, it's not quite that meta. If you are a tabletop role-playing nerd, which is a background you can take in Legend Lore, which I love, yeah, it's great. Um, you you might actually be like, oh, what what level am I? But the Legend Lore characters are going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're just going to get stronger at some point. Like, mm -hmm. um, But you might say... Can be like, oh, I think I leveled up, and they look at you like, oh, okay, buddy, <laughs> doing doing great over there. Well, so I mean, again, uh, going into interesting variations, um, I've been playing Yakuza Like a Dragon recently. 
Uh-huh. Um, and for those who don't know, Yakuza is a long-running video game series, uh, but Like a Dragon was controversial because they switched from being a brawler to a, a JRPG structure. Right. Um, and the main character, um, uh, I forget his name, sadly. Uh, but his name means number one, which is funny. Um, uh, but um, he has played a lot of Dragon Quest. Is his Quest name Ichiban? Ichiban, thank you. His name is Ichiban. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I know how to say number one in Japanese. I just gotta think. The, the, for a that, it's it's it, and it's a running joke. It's like I can't be a real name. No, really, my name is Ichiban. Um, <laughs> but he uh, very early on, um, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm. Even though I'm a jacuzzi, he's a nerd. He likes playing Dragon Quest. He grew up with Dragon Quest games, and he's like, I kind of see the whole world like that. And then like ten seconds later, you're in a fight. And so it's like, so Ichiban kind of knows how the game works, but uh-huh. everyone thinks he's just a weird Yakuza nerd. <laughs> I love that. It's amazing. I, I I did not expect to love this game as much as I have been enjoying the hell out of it. Because it's, it's like, I didn't expect this level, but it's fantastic. Yeah, I've been playing Cyberpunk 2077 because it went on sale finally. Um, mm-hmm. Not recently. I, I got it a while back, but I've been playing it recently. And I kind of love that too, because you get like, it, it is of course a very Trinity anima game. Right. Um, in that you have like, you know, you have eyes that have special scanners in them and you can look at things and it's, you know, all the all the stuff that we like from from the actual world of Cascade and Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, although it is, you know, grimier than that. But it's 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 been really fun and also, yeah, just throwing in like things like I, I love the ability to hack other people's cyberware. Yes. <laughs> because one of my favorite things to do in that game now, I I, I went in thinking I was going to be like a guns blazing character, but mm. I actually put most of my points into tech uh, because I like just sitting back and hacking someone's cyberware and setting them on fire. And then they <laughs> and then they die and then I go take their stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, hey, there's guards there. I'll just turn their eyes off and walk by them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I, I am enjoying the kind of game mechanic that works within the video game. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there's like y- you are hacking things and they can hack you back, which also makes sense because obviously, right. you know, it goes both ways. Um, but yeah, like I, I love seeing game elements that you don't expect in games yeah. and seeing how they get implemented into certain games and especially how they can enhance the experience. So like that, that Yakuza kind of, you know, meta knowledge sounds very, very fun. It is very fun. Now that said, we are getting pretty close on time. So Matthew. If you wanted to follow, find you, talk to you about Isekai, etc., where would they do so? They can find me on MatthewDawkins.com. They can find me on the Onyx Path Discord. For as long as it lasts, I'm on Twitter at DawkinsMP. I'm also on Hive at DawkinsMP. And I would just <laughs> like to say that uh, there's a lot of people who are very worried about Twitter right now, a lot of authors who are very worried that they're going to lose work. A lot of authors yeah. and, and, and artists, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I will say is refresh the memory of the people you work with, people who you worked with recently, much like Eddie recent, recently said, within the last hour, said that, you know, if you do good work, you'll get hired again. Mm-hmm. It's, it's true now as it was then. Yep. If you've done good work before, you can either rely on the fact that those developers who hired you in the past will hire you again now, or you can just drop them an email. Email has not gone away and it never hurts to refresh your contacts that you are available and interested in work. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Eddie, what about you? Um, I'm at pugstady.com, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. Um, so that's the best place to get a hold of me. Um, my current uh, social media site of choice is I'm on Mastodon. Uh, you can find me, Eddie Fate, D-D-Y-F-A-T-E, at Mastodon UK. Um, but other than that, just go to my website and you'll find me there or just ping me on the Discord and... We'll figure something out. 
<laughs> uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at, D- at Dixie Psychonite. I'm working on snapping up all the Twitter alternatives <laughs> at yeah. the moment. So, you know, I even went back on Tumblr, which apparently I was on in like 2012 and then forgot about. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I reset my password. It's really great to be using the same email for that long. Uh, you can, of course, find me in the Discord, where at some point uh, today, even though it is the day after Thanksgiving, I'm going to be uh, posting my favorite thing about Ready Player One, which is Demi Adejuibe's theme song for it. Yes, um, 100%. <laughs> you can find us everywhere at the Onyx Path, onyxpath.com. And as always, many worlds, one podcast.